This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. I think I have the longest title talk of today, um, so that's something. Um, thank you very much to the organizers for inviting me to come and speak. Um, hope you feel better soon, Sarah. Um, so we've heard um, throughout the afternoon that modern humans overlapped in time and space with multiple hominin lineages. And one topic that has been of enduring interest is, was there any admixture that happened between modern humans and these other groups of humans? And for a long time, the answer was, well, maybe yes and maybe no, and people debated it pretty um, vociferously. Um, and that was largely because the data to answer that question didn't exist. And it wasn't until more recently that Svante Pabo's group at Leipzig, at, in Leipzig um, developed and pioneered tools for studying ancient DNA. And they produced the first Neanderthal uh, genome sequence. And we finally had the tools to be able to say definitively whether admixture occurred or not. And indeed, as um, Sri Ram talked about earlier, um, all non-Africans derive about 2% of their ancestry from Neanderthals. And what was even more interesting is a few years later, this same group um, published another paper where they sequenced ancient DNA isolated from a small uh, fragment of a pinky bone, thinking that it was perhaps Neanderthal or maybe um, modern human. And it turned out to be this entire new branch of humanity that we now call the Denisovans. And this is, in fact, the first species to be um, entirely described by DNA. And so ancient DNA has transformed our understanding of human history over the past decade. And we've learned many things, like what the distribution of Neanderthal ancestry is uh, in populations across the world. And again, we saw this um, this morning, but we can see that um, on average, individuals outside of Africa can trace about 2% of their genomes back to Neanderthal ancestors. And strikingly, um, we find a very different picture for Denisovan ancestry. So here, we really only find Denisovan ancestry in parts of the world down here. Oops, my, that's not working, so I'll just talk. Um, uh, in populations of Melanesian and Australian Aboriginal origin. So we have a very different geographic pattern of surviving um, ancestry. And that's great. We can describe global ancestry proportions, um, but studying ancient DNA is still hard. So my interest in this area um, can be traced back to a few years ago where we had this idea that, well, if modern individuals... Uh, interbred with uh, Neanderthals and Denisovans, then maybe we don't have to excavate ancient DNA directly from fossils, but we could indirectly isolate Neanderthal and Denisovan sequences from the genomes of modern humans. And so we call this molecular ex excavations. And I borrowed this slide from a CARTA um, <laughs> meeting a few years ago, uh, which I think is a really beautiful uh, representation of this idea of molecular excavations. And so literally what we're trying to do is develop um, computational or statistical models and walk along somebody's genome and pull out the bits that were inherited from Neanderthals or Denisovans. 
And molecular excavations are really powerful because they enable us to identify the specific DNA sequences that were inherited from Neanderthal or Denisovan ancestors. So it's one thing to say something about a proportion, but when you can actually identify the sequences, you can do a lot of interesting things with it. So you can test evolutionary hypotheses, and you can even start thinking about, well, what's the influence of Neanderthal and Denisovan sequences on traits and diseases in present-day populations? And I'll try to touch on um, all of this uh, in my talk. So we've discovered methods to identify Neanderthal and Denisovan sequences, and we've applied them to geographically diverse populations. Um, we've largely looked at around 2,500 genomes that are part of a publicly available project called the Thousand Genomes Project. But we've also worked with colleagues in some cases to um, sample populations from particular regions of the world. Uh, for instance, uh, Melanesia, where we expect Denisovan ancestry to be the highest. And so how much of the Neanderthal and Denisovan genome persists in modern individuals? So if we just represent the Neanderthal genome as this circle, when we look across all 2,500 people, we actually recover about 41% of the Neanderthal genome. And that's pretty striking, right, that we're not actually sequencing a Neanderthal, but we're stringing together these bits and pieces that survive in modern individuals. And by doing that, we can find almost half of the Neanderthal genome. And that might seem surprising, especially in light that each of us only carries a little bit of Neanderthal ancestry. But the reason this works is that the 2% of Neanderthal sequence that I have might be a little bit different than the 2% that you have. And when we look collectively across large numbers of individuals, we can recover a substantial amount of the Neanderthal genome. And on an individual basis, uh, non-African individuals have about 55 million base pairs of Neanderthal sequence uh, per individual. And this is pretty similar across populations, so East Asians, South Asians, Europeans, and American individuals. Um, there's a little variation, but it's fairly consistent. And incidentally, um, if you get your 23andMe report and they tell you you either have the most Neanderthal ancestry or the least Neanderthal ancestry, what it's really saying is that if you have the least amount, you have about 40 meg megabases of sequence, and if you have the most, you have 60 megabases of sequence, and whether that's interesting or not, that's entirely up to you. Um. <laughs> so we can do the same thing for Denisovan sequences. Again, we represent the De Denisovan genome as this circle. And here, we don't do quite as well, so, but we still recover 10% of the genome, which is a substantial amount. And the reason we don't recover quite as much is that Denisovan ancestry is largely confined to Melanesian populations. So, in fact, Melanesians have about 40 megabases of Denisovan sequence per individual, and you find very little Denisovan sequence in other populations. And, in fact, this 10% number is actually pretty good because we only have a sample size of 35 individuals compared to the 2,500 individuals that we're looking for Neanderthal sequence in. So, in fact, there's a lot more of the Denisovan genome to be found. So that's interesting. We can identify intragress sequence. But really what we're interested in is understanding whether admixture was just an interesting side note to human history or was it something more significant? And in particular, did these sequences that we inherited from Neanderthals and Denisovans, did they have um, negative fitness consequences? That means did these, were some of these sequences deleterious? Were some of the sequences advantageous and confer an advantage to our ancestors? 
And then ultimately, we'd like to know what are the phenotypic consequences of hybridization. And we're going to focus mainly on these two issues today. So this is an overwhelming slide showing the distribution of Neanderthal sequence um, that we can find in modern individuals, in uh, European individuals, in blue, in East Asian individuals, and in red. In each place we find Neanderthal sequence in one of these populations, we put a, a tick mark on the chromosome. The gray regions are just parts of the genome that are too structurally complex to analyze, so we just ignore them. And the black uh, circles are centromeres. And one thing that you might um, be able to see if you stare at this long enough, and we stare at it for a long time, is that there's a, a non-uniform distribution of surviving Neanderthal lineages. For example, this region, also highlighted by Sriram this morning, is about a 10 megabase region on chromosome 7 that's significantly depleted of Neanderthal sequence. It's also significantly depleted of Denisovan sequence. And what this suggests is that there once probably was Neanderthal and Denisovan sequence in this region, but it was deleterious in modern humans and eliminated by natural selection. And as Sriram pointed out, right in the middle of this region is the gene FOXP2 that's been implicated for speech in, in speech and language. So if we're interested in the genetic substrates of uniquely modern human phenotypes, these deserts of archaic sequence, I think, are a really good starting point. But not all sequences that we inherited from Neanderthals or Denisovans were deleterious. Some, in fact, were advantageous. And we know that there's somewhere on the order of 50 to 100 uh, places in the genome where there's examples of adaptive introgression. That is, Neanderthal and Denisovan sequences were beneficial and rose to high frequency in the population. And we can find um, examples of this uh, in all of the populations that we look at. And this is pretty fascinating because as modern humans are dispersing into these new environments, they're admixing and picking up beneficial copies of genes uh, from a species or group of populations that have been there for hundreds of thousands of years before them. And so this is a pretty efficient way to adapt to new environmental conditions. And you can sort of generally say that um, the phenotypes that were likely influenced by adaptive introgression tend to fall into a couple categories. So things that influence our um, ability to adapt to new environments, like high altitude, uh, for example. Vast majority of adaptive introgression genes are involved in pathogen defense, and we know that pathogens are one of the strongest selective pressures in humans. And then there's a set of genes that we don't really fully understand that are involved in skin and hair biology, and they too um, show a very strong signature of adaptive introgression. So um, we'd like to continue to understand how uh, hybridizing or mating with Neanderthals and Neander with Neanderthals and Denisovans uh, influence the trajectory of, of human evolution. But in the last few minutes that I have, I want to tell you about some work that we published um, just a few weeks ago, actually, in which we developed a new method that reveals a new twist in our understanding of human history in mixing with Neanderthals. And one thing that you might have noticed earlier in my talk is that when I talked about patterns of Neanderthal ancestry, um, I exclusively focused on non-African populations. So I showed you how much Neanderthal sequence there, were, there was in East Asians, South Asians, Europeans, and American populations, but didn't say anything about individuals of African ancestry. 
And that's because all of the methods up until this point have assumed that Neanderthal ancestry in Africa was either very little or non-existent. And so we recently developed a new method that didn't make this assumption. And so we were excited to apply it to individuals of African ancestry. And to our surprise, we actually found substantial amounts of Neanderthal sequence in African individuals. And these were the five populations that were available for analysis from the 1,000 Genomes Project. Um, Purple here represents African admixed individuals, so largely African Americans. But even in um, these African populations from the 1,000 Genomes Project, we find about 17 megabases of Neanderthal sequence per individual. And just as a comparison, when we look at sort of the same individuals and call Neanderthal sequence using previous methods that we developed that make this assumption that there's little Neanderthal ancestry in Africa, we only call maybe 500 kilobases, so um, like two orders of magnitude less. So this was a really strong signal, and it was very surprising. So we do see Neanderthal ancestry using this new method, but what explains this signal? Well, to make a long story short, there's really two primary explanations. So the first is that there were migrations back to Africa. So people left Africa in the the major out-of-Africa dispersal, hybridized or admixed with Neanderthals, and some returned back to Africa, carrying the Neanderthal sequence with them. And our results show that the amount of back migration has probably been much larger than we've previously thought. So that's one part of the signal. The second part, actually, um, is really fascinating and something that we really wasn't on our radar until um, we, we got this result. And that is that part of the signal of Neanderthal ancestry in Africa is due to an early out-of-Africa dispersal and gene flow from humans into Neanderthals. And so let me unpack that a little bit for you. So this is a simple phylogeny showing the relationship between Neanderthals and three modern human populations, so Africans, Europeans, and East Asians. And so the bottom here represents the present, and we go um, into the past as we go towards the top. And this hatch mark just is to indicate that uh, the times aren't going to be drawn proportionally. So we know that Neanderthals and modern humans split around 600,000 years ago. And what our data shows is that not only was there this out-of-Africa dispersal that happened 80,000 years ago that resulted in the peopling of the world, but there was also a much earlier uh, dispersal of humans out of Africa around 200,000 years ago, and they encountered Neanderthals and admixed with them. So in fact, some of the sequence that we call as Neanderthal, it's not Neanderthal sequence in modern humans, it's that Neanderthals have modern human sequence. And so this adds a further twist to sort of this complex pattern of admixture and gene flow and arrows pointing in every direction. So in conclusion, there is substantial amounts of the Neanderthal and Denisovan genome that remain in modern, in modern individuals. There were fitness consequences to hybridization, both good and bad. Humans, Neanderthals, and Denisovans have mixed multiple times, likely in multiple places, and that there were multiple dispersals both in and out of Africa. And I think this last point is something that is really important in genetics, is that we often have simple models of how humans dispersed around the world, um, and that the more data we look at, the more complex these models become, 
and that it's important to take into account the dispersals both out of Africa and back into Africa to really understand patterns of Neanderthal ancestry. So I would like to uh, acknowledge uh, my lab in particular, um, uh, Ben Verneau, who did a lot of the early work on finding Neanderthal sequence, um, my collaborators, and my two boys who I'm sure are not watching right now. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.